I am preemptively stressed about the fact that there is not a single minute between the end of the Monaco GP and the start of the Indy 500. I am also sure there'll be some kind of delay that will cause to be some kind of overlap. And if the Monaco GP is stressful and something bad happens in Lewis Hamilton's race, how am I gonna take a mental health walk? How am I gonna go outside and touch some grass if I have to immediately go watch the Indy 500? Who scheduled this? It is put it on a delay and uh, go take a walk and come back, ignore social media, don't look at anything, and then start it. Because I also feel the same. My exact perspective is just, will I, you know, will I be able to do that? If it ends well for all of the drivers that I hope it ends well for in Monaco, yeah, of course I'll watch the Indy 500 right away. If not, then uh, we're gonna have to take a little bit of a break because it'll just, I don't want it to, affect the indie car watching experience. It's not their fault. It probably will be Ferrari's fault. The Charles cries. So. Look, like, Mercedes is bringing upgrades to the Monaco GP. Mercedes why? is bringing their B-spec car to the Monaco GP. And then they expect me to be a totally okay person to watch the Indy 500 without wanting to like cry. Like, I get that it's logistics. I get it. And like, we had that whole conversation, Like we've talked about logistics of the shipping and the things. And we've talked about all that before on this podcast, but I don't like that. I don't enjoy, uh, upgrades, B-Spec, car, Monaco. No, they, they don't belong in the same sentence unless they, it says don't or no. Essentially, it's it's really just selfish. Like, I need my blood pressure to stay down. I need to keep my stress levels at a normal human being's level. And it's just too much in one weekend. Just too much. I agree. Way too much. Too much stress. But I guess that's also... Why is the triple crown? They, they book both of those on the same weekend because they don't like each other. Not because they think it's better for either of them. Like... I'm a big believer in all areas that a rising tide lifts all ships, but, and they basically said, nah, sink it, sink it. You got to pick one. And then there's the crazy people like us that are just going to watch both. And I'm, ah, I'm mad. Cooling down on our wind up on the grid. It's lights out and away we go this week's grid walk. Welcome to episode 18 of grid walk. Lance Stroll, episode number of Gridwalk. Lance Stroll episode. No, it's not. Fun fact, 18 is a lucky number in Judaism. So I've always liked that 18 is his number. But uh, that has nothing to do with what we're actually talking about today. So it is Monaco GP week. So we're going to get into a couple different elements about what makes Monaco controversial and our feelings on them. Spoiler alert, we both really like Monaco. So we want to talk about why we like Monaco. Also, F1, for the first time, is broadcasting the Grand Prix. We're going to talk about how that's going to affect, probably predict how that's going to affect everyone's feelings about Monaco. And then we're going to give you some tips for how to, what we think will make watching a low overtake race, doesn't have to be Monaco, but a race that struggles with overtakes, how to watch it in a way that makes it really interesting. And I think why we really enjoy these races, maybe more than the average viewer. We're also going to talk about F1's programming 
switch up because there was no race. So there was a lot to talk about, about F1 and F1 teams marketing social media and PR strategies last weekend as they had to fill this new void of space. Lastly, of course, we're going to give our predictions for the race weekend. Um, spoiler, though, because we may or may not get to it. Nicole dismit, like, had an unbelievable weekend with our F1 Academy predictions from last weekend. Really killed me. Uh, so <laughs> I might be dominating our F1 predictions, but Nicole had an amazing F1 Academy weekend last week. And there were moments where I didn't feel like it was going to be going that way, but I literally come you know, end of the weekend. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. That feels great. That felt, you know, really, really great to get a win over there. But who knows? Maybe I'll yeah. surprise you in Monaco. Maybe. I'm going off pure vibes this week. Pure <laughs> vibes. Upgrades in Monaco. I don't know. Red Bull's going to be good and who knows anything else. Uh, before we get into that, we have a couple of things to remind you. Uh, one, we're putting out a bonus episode this week. If you're listening to this Thursday, the day it comes out, it's coming out tomorrow, Friday, May 26th. Yep. It's coming out Friday, May 26th. Um, and it's going to be all about the Triple Crown because it is the Triple Crown weekend because we're getting the Indy 500 and the Monaco GP this weekend. Um, so we dive into the history of the Triple Crown and we give you an F1 fans rooting guide to the Indy 500 if you're interested in checking it out. Essentially, you get to hear the voice notes I would have sent to Nicole about the Indy 500, uh, except they're here on the podcast instead of on voice notes in our phone. Second ask is, please, 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 we normally only say this at the end of the pod, but it really helps us if you're watching, if you leave a review or write a comment on YouTube, like the episode, it really just helps the podcast be found. It makes things like Apple really like us. If you just hit the five-star button. Uh, but then also, like, leave us a comment. We really want to start to get to know some of the people who are listening to this. So leave us in the comments today of today's YouTube video or throw it in your review on Apple or Spotify or Google who your favorite F1 driver is. Like, just let us know. We want to know if you're also Lewis Hamilton fans or if you're a Charles fan like Nicole. Like, Shoot it out to us, and if you leave us one, we will read it out in the future. Because I want to get to know you. So, without any further ado and diddy daddling, let's get into the actual meat of the show today. Woo! Last week, with the race cancellation, which was 100% the right decision, I'm still so glad that everyone made that decision as fast and efficiently as they did. But with that came a really interesting uh, marketing and PR uh, problem to solve, because I don't want to call it a crisis. It's not a crisis in any way. Uh, and as marketing professionals and people who are very interested in these types of decisions business may, businesses make, I we got this live case study of all of these teams, F1 as a whole, had an entire weekend of content plans, whether that's social media content, broadcasting content, YouTube content, and all of that completely got thrown out the window. And they all had to figure out how to fill that void. And the same way that teams compete on track, they compete off track for attention. F1 competes with other sports for our attention and 
attention equals money in this general sporting landscape. Uh, but we also have 10 teams that compete for sponsors and all the content they put out is to benefit those sponsors. So I thought it was interesting to see how they all filled the void. And what were some of the highlights for Unicol? Who do you think did really well, did awful, did somewhere in between for uh, creating interest for F1 when there should have been a race there? Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't want to, calling it as a, the team's having an opportunity to fill this space. I'm again, not trying to say that anything of the, what was happening in Imola was positive in any way. So I say opportunity is just like, they have to fill in these mm -hmm. days of content. And like, as a lot of people may think, it's not just an intern, like running all of the social media channels. There's a very curated content plan of things that will be posted and when they will be posted and why they are being posted. So to have a race totally like scrubbed from the calendar like that week says a lot about the teams and management and just the kind of creativity that the teams have behind the scenes to be able to put together any kind of online presence so fast because they want to be able to stay front of mind to their fans because that's their whole job for weekends. Um, all, I think across the board, there were a lot of things that really stood out. I mean, you have Alpine going live on Instagram, which is like, Hey, we're really going to take the time to be not only providing content to our fans and viewers, but like in a way that can be interactive and like, we are literally like, right. It was like one of the first, like we're Oh, hi, we're going to, this is the thing we're doing, which Live seem very easy to be like, we're going to do this right now, but there's always like a planning of something and things and lots and of it. had an entire list of questions to ask the drivers. Someone had to put that together. Someone had to get that approved. Like there, even though it might feel natural and organic, not that I would classify that as that, but like that was, they pulled something that felt entertaining together incredibly quickly. Yes. Yes. Um, but I would be remiss because I, you know, we need to discuss the new F1 full yes. studio show. Okay. okay, so I don't know if this was something they were going to roll out anyway. That's my big question. Like, was it going to be that weekend anyway? Or was this just like, let's do this now because... And for context, we're talking about the Monaco preview show that they did on F1's YouTube with Julian Palmer, Lawrence Barreto, and Will Buxton, and Sam Collins. Now, what blew my mind about it, though, is that they started with the three guys on the couch talking about Monaco. Then they pulled back and they turned the camera to Sam at the screen. And I'm like, oh, I know the studio set because this is where Sam and Scarves will like do like race and car analysis in other videos. So I think this was always planned, but I don't think it was planned for this weekend. Like, like I think that set was always there and ready to do something like this, but I wonder if F1 was going to do this on Tuesday or if they had plans to do this and start maybe at Silverstone. Like I'm just picking a race and they're like, well, now we have this weekend. Like let's try it and make an attempt. And if yeah. this was a rushed, let's do, all I know is it had to have at least been a little rushed because they recorded it on a Saturday or Sunday where they were supposed to be at a race. And it was really well done. 
I enjoyed the whole thing. Yeah, it gave me, it was like very reminiscent of like a ESPN style like yes. show. It felt familiar in a way. Mm-hmm. And I know we had talked about, you know, the like the new recent ESPN post ratio and everything like that. So it felt very similar vibes to that, except it was just like on YouTube and with like a not, I, yeah, like a more, to me as an F1 fan, a more familiar set of commentators. Mm-hmm. So it kind of felt like a weird meld mesh of familiar components and familiar faces, but like in a new location, new place, trying something new. Yeah, no, I, I also enjoyed it. I hope they continue to do it and see what it turns into. And I'd be curious to see if it ends up somewhere else besides YouTube, but... For now, I'm very happy that's where it is. F1 TV's production has really stepped up this year. And I don't think we've had an opportunity in between races and all the other stuff that's been going on to shine a light on um, how much I've been enjoying their pre and post race and their supplemental content they've been putting out around the races. It's They've been doing this one, these two things every week that are new this year that I've been really impressed with. One is they're putting out a weekend wrap-up pre-race on Sunday morning, understanding that so many people don't watch all the practice sessions and they don't, and they're wrong in not watching qualifying. If you're going to watch one thing in an F1 weekend, watch qualifying, but I won't won't rant about that right now. And this video has been really great. Like, I don't need it, but I watch it just because I'm curious about the type of content that F1's focusing on and putting out. Yeah, like, um, what are they picking for the person who doesn't watch all of practice and all of qualifying? Like, what are they determining as, like, the stories to follow or the things to know or, like, like that day? And I'm always eternally fascinated with just media strategy. So whenever F1 is choosing to do something new, I'm going to tune in. For the same reason we're talking about the media programming right now is just something that, like, we both really like. The other thing they're doing is um, post-race weekend fan reactions where they're going around interviewing fans on track afterwards and like, what did you think of the race? And I just, F1's not always been super community-based. And I just really like that initiative they're doing to like hear from fans in the moment. Yeah, they're like, I mean, literally speaking to fans. And we've discussed very briefly, I remember right after the season started discussing like, we were really shocked with like the car launches and first race and everything. And like the preseason testing content that we were getting that like last year and in previous years, we were not getting anything about like tire testing or like preseason testing, anything like that. And they were producing so much content. We're getting so much extra content as you've touched upon during race weekends. So it's clear of like, a, well, this is for fans and the communicating with fans and then producing that content and sharing it. It, is where we want to see the sport be going. It's that fan focus that we know is the right move and where the money is and more fun for us. I always just like when sports understand that they can be, um, like they can produce a ton of options and not everyone needs to engage with every option. So if the fan reaction video isn't for you, that's cool. But there's someone out there who's going to love that. Um, and I think this new studio show, yeah, like this new studio show is a similar thing where like 
it really is something to your point that's really familiar to us and I really liked the format and I can't wait until they get more personalities in a studio show like that and uh, loosen up and have a little more fun with it you know like gotta get Julian Palmer to do like top five rankings or something but the so I liked the familiar format and that doesn't mean that everyone has to like it and not everyone has to watch it I just think the more content F1, the more different content that F1 puts out, the better and healthier the sport is. 100%. Oh, yeah. oh but so we digressed a little bit. Um, you said, I think we both like give, like, I think Alpine's like immediate response to get on live was really good. I think the new studio show was really cool. Um, another one is Williams putting together um, a fundraising Twitch live stream that included Alex and a bunch of their esports drivers was also a really good way to leverage um, capabilities that their team already had and put something together last minute, but entertaining for their fans. And I thought Utilize it was really good. Your resources for a good cause. Right. Yeah. So I think they did a great job with it. Uh, I do think some teams decided to just go dark. And I just think that's such a missed opportunity. Uh, but they're they're the same teams that go dark in between race weekends. And they don't understand that creating engaging content year round keeps them positively in the news cycle. I, I feel like we can just specifically call out Alfa Romeo because it's frustrating to me of just utilize your charismatic drivers. Like I understand you're not having the greatest season. You have two drivers that you can make such wonderful content with, and you had a free weekend to do something, and you know you didn't. You you did not do that. I think the only races on the calendar that get more commentary about whether they should exist is Miami and Vegas. Then the like the Monaco GP. I think the vast majority of conversation is, do you like it? Do you hate it? Should it even exist anymore? Oh, I hate seeing these cars on it. I love seeing, like, if there is an opinion to be had about Monaco, it's probably been had already because it's been talked about until the end of time. It is an unbelievably polarizing race. I fall into the position of, it's been there for so long. It's going to be there. Like, enjoy it. But I also, like, enjoy it no matter what. I Again, I like when it's a little bit different. I like that kind of little bit of extra spice to the calendar. And Monaco means so much to the drivers. It's a different perspective. It's a different energy for the teams and the drivers and just everyone there. It's There's a little bit of extra sparkle when it comes to Monaco for F1. I think if every race was Monaco, and I'm talking about, I'm not talking about Monaco off track. I'm talking about Monaco on track. I think then I would get it. I'd be like, you know what? Yeah, we don't need... We don't need 23 Monacos on the calendar. No. But I love having one Monaco. I think every time their contract is up, so it's up coming into this year, you get all the people who are like, oh, we don't need Monaco. I'm like, no, no, we need Monaco. Like An F1 calendar without Monaco would feel wrong. It's such a different style of driving, and you're really testing like, a different type of ability but like because of you know it's so narrow and like there's such less overtaking and the corners and like it's 
such a different st- different style that than all other circuits that yeah. you're really like putting them to the test in a different way and that makes it more interesting i personally think as a fan and a viewer to be watching i i completely agree with a lot of the arguments that if the cars were smaller they would race better in monaco so i don't want to discredit all of that but i do love monaco and something about me as a general sports fan is i've always been attracted to parts of sports that are more defensive Like my favorite part of football is I love watching the defensive line. I love great defense. And like the NFL made a completely shift to just make as much offense as possible and make playing defense completely impossible. And I get that that's sexier, but I just, me as a collective sports fan, like defense has been one of my favorite things. And Monaco is like the defense of F1, where it's more about like, can you hold someone back? Can you not make a mistake? than it is about press DRS go past. So there's going to be less overtakes, but weirdly for me as a sports fan, in this like weird <laughs> contrarian group I'm in, it's like my favorite part of sport. It's a, it, it's like the exception of like certain rules. I don't know, it, like, there's just something different about it that I'm, I'm fine with, because like, not that I don't love seeing overtakes in a race, like I do, yeah, but I also don't think that's everything a race needs to be a good race. I think a reason why so many people have rough feelings about Monaco is because what I think is actually a little known fact that up until this year, Monaco was the only race on the calendar where F1 didn't handle all the broadcasting. So at every other race, F1 has a team of broadcasters and they basically put out a live feed. And then people from other countries commentate over that, whether that's F1 TV's crew, the Sky Sports crew, or the Sky Germany crew, they all take the same F1 live feed. And that live feed like sh- dictates the visuals of the race. That's also where the team radio comes from. They're doing all of the production, except for Monaco. <laughs> Monaco, up until this year, had it written in their rules, thank you, Bernie, this was great, um, that they got to broadcast the race. And you might be like, well, does Monaco's broadcasting team have a lot of experience with broadcasting motor races? No, they do this once a year. They just do this. So, and maybe a couple others, but So you're saying the professional broadcasting team is not allowed to broadcast the race because Monaco was very particular about what ways you saw their principality. And for that reason, you had a bunch of, essentially compared to F1's team, amateurs broadcasting this race. And that's why you get those iconic Lance Stroll moments. But guess what, Nicole? It's just all overexposed coming out of the tunnel like yeah. who is it or what yeah but not this year because yeah. in their new contract F1 is going to be in charge of broadcasting this race can we take a moment thank goodness my gosh Monica you can do a lot of things but maybe let 
Leave this to the professionals. It, I am excited for how much I think this is going to improve all of our enjoyment of the race. Not that F1 broadcasting is perfect, but I know it's going to be a step up. It is overall going to be better than what we've experienced. Yeah, I mean, it was already pretty low bar. So I can't, and like, again, as someone who enjoys watching Monaco right now, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome to watch actual professionals understanding how to do a broadcast. And I don't necessarily think that we're going to get any other, like, views of Monaco that they, like, wouldn't have want us to really see. Because, yeah, they want, like, the image of Monaco and the selling of Monaco or, like, just we're going to, it will still be everything we wanted to and more just at, like, a professional level. And people know what they're right. doing. I think it will be better. I, I've also always been very curious about what parts of Monaco are they so worried about us seeing? Yeah, it's Monaco, right? Isn't right. it supposed to be Monaco? I, Monte Carlo? Oh. Right. So, I'm, I mean, maybe there is a part of Monaco. I've clearly never been there. So, I'm... It's always been this in the back of my head since I've known that this is a thing. Been like, that's kind of sketchy. Maybe Monaco's not so nice. I don't. I I don't think that's the case. I just am confused. Yeah, I don't think almost every driver or people that make a lot of money and whatever, yes, tax rules, blah blah blah. But I don't think they live there, have property there, invest there at all. If it was like not. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think F1 broadcasting Monaco this year, do you think that's going to improve the general sentiment around Monaco? Like, do you think coming out of this race, there might be some general, wow, that was a really good Monaco this year. And maybe they don't know that that's why, because I know that understanding who's broadcasting a race is a niche subject (laughs) that you and I primarily are very interested in. And I don't think the average viewer is. But like, do you think there might be some like, wow, that was the best Monaco race we had in a while, even if nothing is different? I hope for yes, but like my gut says no. Like I think people that don't like Monaco love not to like Monaco. And it's like a thing <laughs> they get to do every year of being like, oh, again, with these narrow streets and these ridiculous corners and this ridiculous. It's the same reason why people like to be like, meh, 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 driver's introductions at Miami. Like it's like part of like the F1 piece that people just feel like is a little bit unnecessary or is like a little bit too extra. But like they don't understand it's like a crucial part of the sport. Right. And yeah, Monaco is not going anywhere. So I think if the people with the personality traits that are anti-Monaco will stay that way, and the people that love Monaco and enjoy watching Monaco will have a better time this year. Yeah, I do think that what gets underrepresented on social media is that there's probably a lot of people who are just on the fence about it. And it's a race. race. Who cares? Or they're very much like, yeah, it's Monaco. Like Monaco's a big deal every year. Like. Monaco is one of the few races that people who don't watch F1 like will still watch every year. And so I just, I do think there's a large majority of people who are probably like, yeah, it's Monaco crown jewel. Cool. Triple crown. Love it. Moving on. <laughs> you know, like, even if they leave the race being like, that was a little subpar. Like they're not, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like we live in this 
bubble of F1 conversation where everyone has an opinion about it? What if the reality is that those people are just like, meh, whatever? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like F1's a sport that, like, it's not very meh, whatever. I feel like it's like a sport of very strong, positive feelings. I mean, literally, a lot of people, like, their main point for Monaco is that there's, like, no room to overtake cars too big, but, like, the fact that, like, there's not a bunch of overtaking in the race is, like, a strong reason as to, like, why people don't enjoy it as much. But, I don't know, you and I both feel that there can be ways to be watching a race that doesn't have a bunch of overtakes and, like, still enjoy it. And I also don't think this is the only track on the calendar that struggles with low overtakes. Um, I also think you and I are both in the camp of like a DRS overtake is not thrilling and exciting to watch. So I don't think there is a direct one-to-one causation, exciting race, good overtakes. Like, I don't think that's, I think it's exciting race has a one-to-one correlation with the stories told around that race and that we can visibly see long-term strategic battles, whether that's between drivers or in strategy, and how well that's communicated to us. I think that's what makes a good race. Last year's Monaco was actually a really good race between, uh, well, everything that happened to Charles. But even without that, you had Carlos, um, you had the Williams drivers not listening to blue flags, so Carlos had a slow outlap. You had that whole thing for the end of the race where all the drivers were trying to overtake each other and Checo had to do some great defensive moves in slippery conditions in order to not crash and keep all the drivers behind him. I think there's such a narrative around being unable to take overtake in Monaco that they're taking out all the skill of the drivers who are preventing the overtakes. Right. Um, which is just as important. Like, Checo could have easily crashed. I don't remember. Like, do you remember the photos of his tires at the end of that race in the yeah. slippery, wet conditions? And he didn't make a single mistake. Yeah. And, like, those, it was monsooning, that race. That's, like, when they were Photoshopping VB's famous river picture, like, into the yes. street. It was nuts. The conditions for that race last year were absolutely wild. And I think he, these were a really good point about that it discredits the skill that it takes to perform well in any sense on a circuit like Monaco. So I think this transitions well to you and I have some tips for watching a low overtake race or a race that is predicted to be an low overtake race and how we watch those races. Like, so this is how I'm going to go into Monaco watching the race but admittedly I watch every race the way I'm about to describe. Um, In order to give yourself things to look for other than overtakes and driver, necessarily like dramatic driver movement. Um, So these are gonna be like easy entries into things to watch and look for. Whether or not you are a live timing person from Monaco, I recommend opening up live timing. In the live timing, there is a tab and it's called driver tracker. If you're watching on YouTube right now, I'm going to put a visual component on the screen, um, but I'm going to explain this in an easy to follow way, even if you don't want to go over to YouTube and see this. You should, you should do it. 
Subscribe while you're there. Turn on notifications. All like, the, oh the things God. YouTubers say, right? <laughs> Admittedly, we do work really hard on the visual component to this. So if you're not watching us, I'd recommend it. Um, so click on the driver tracker tab. Whatever driver is your favorite driver or you're most interested in following for the day, click that driver. And then for the drive, then pick a driver that you think your favorite driver is trying to track down or trying to keep behind them. The driver tracker will automatically populate their sector times and how much the driver chasing is either gaining or losing to the other driver. So for example, I will normally in every race, my the driver I root for the most is Lewis Hamilton. So let's say Lewis Hamilton is qualified P4. And I think what's reasonable and what I'm rooting for is him to finish P3 behind both the Red Bulls. I will grab whatever driver is P3. I'll put both of them into this driver tracker and it will live tell me Okay, is Lewis gaining? Is he losing time? And you can watch that battle, whether or not they're showing it on the broadcast. Make your own battle. Right. Create your own broadcast. Uh, but it also doesn't have to be a P4 to P3. So let's say your favorite driver um, is Lance Stroll, and he qualified out of position because... This is, this is something I experienced many weeks. Lance Stroll qualifying out of position. I might... Lance Stroll maybe qualified P9. I think he's going to end the race most likely P6. Maybe I'll pull up a Ferrari driver who's currently running in that position. And I start comparing the P9 to P6. So you can do this. It doesn't just need to be like people who are right next to each other. Um, and you can watch a chase or watch someone chase you. If Max Verstappen's your favorite driver and you want to be comparing his lap times to Checo through the whole race, I'd just put both of those drivers in the driver tracker. Um, you can actually start to see some really cool things like, hey, if you're comparing two different cars, like, wow, the Mercedes car is really good in, let's say, sector two, and the Aston car is really good in sector three. And then you can start watching the nuances of, does Lewis make up enough time in sector two that what the time he's going to lose in sector three doesn't matter? And you can start to see these details because you're watching them lap after lap. Second time, second thing here is on the main page of live timing, they give you an option to look at mini sectors. I love mini sectors because they're color coded. And instead of you just getting the full lap of, okay, is this slower than their fastest lap? Or is this their fastest lap? Which over an entire race setting, I find a little unhelpful. You can look at their mini sectors and start to get an idea of when their tires are going away. So are more of their mini sectors green versus yellow? Well, they're still putting in faster times. Even if their overall lap time isn't substantially improving, you're not getting any purple sectors, that's okay. You're still putting in green sectors. Things are still good. It's just a way to get a gauge looking at one specific driver how they're performing over a lap. And then when everything starts to turn yellow for many laps, you can make a broad assessment that maybe their tires are going away. Again, I'm giving you real simple things. <laughs> like this, there are like levels and nuances that you can get into. I'm just trying to give everyone an entry point for things to watch that don't have to do with necessarily overtakes. The last tip I have 
is watch driver onboards. So of course, if you are specifically in England, this doesn't apply to you, but anywhere else, F1 TV, F1 multi-viewer, download it. I, or just have multiple screens. Like my must-haves for any race, but specifically for Monaco, is the F1 TV broadcast, Lewis's onboard, and a screen for live timing. Because particularly at a race of Monaco, nothing will improve my enjoyment more than watching how close they're getting to those walls and how they're doing. And it is a fantastic supplement to what you're getting on the screen. So maybe there's a lull in action on the screen. You can just shift your attention, if you're not a data person, to that driver on board. And sometimes I'll flip through different drivers. I'll notice if the broadcast says a certain driver's struggling, I'll wanna see what that looks like on an onboard. And then maybe I'll flip over to that driver and see what they're doing on their steering wheel. How, like, are they sliding around a lot? Like what's going on? What is said struggling? Driver onboards are really great for that. Um, I will also pull up two driver onboards going back to my original point about how fantastic the driver tracker is. Like, I'll pull up both the onboards for the driver. I'm either chasing, like my driver is chasing or is trying to, stay ahead of, and then you get both perspectives. Uh, so really the key here is pick a battle you're really interested in, and then give yourself supplemental data for that battle. Um, those are my, my tips for watching a low overtake race. Low overtake races are still good races, can still be good races. And those are just a few tips. And uh, so that can give, you know, some other ways to enjoy Monaco, but Monaco's fun. There's so many other stories to be invested besides like a DRS zone or who's P1. We are in a race week after an unexpected no race week, which means race predictions and Monaco is uh, always a little bit of a potential wild card. So yeah. I have to start with did you at all switch up your P1 winner of Monaco? Yeah, I still picked Max. This is I also still picked Max. Great. Yeah. Um it's interesting because we filmed last week's predictions for Imola and had to scrap it all. Um so I'm going to say the same thing I said when this was all lost to the vault. And that is until another team proves that they might be able to win a race, I will continue to pick Max because if Max wins and I don't pick Max, I will feel silly. I agree. Yeah. I know we saw Checo win last year, but that in my brain is all, is like more like Max really wants to win it this year. Also, of all the races, I understand that just for a fluky reason, someone else could win. Right. But I can't, it all goes back to, if Max won, I will feel dumb for I not agree. picking him. Um, so, have to go with Max. Um, also, just with all of these picks, I think this is the most unknown we're going into a race weekend pr predictions. Uh, Mercedes is bringing upgrades. Some teams may or may not be bringing big upgrades that they were going to bring to Imola. Ferrari has said they're not bringing their upgrades. So there's just, 
a lot of up yeah. in the air. It's a lot of we don't know what we're going to be seeing on track. It's Monaco and all the Imola upgrades may or may not be coming. So like we were going to get a shakeup last weekend. And then now we're going to get a shakeup and Monaco. And um, I'm going to throw in here before we continue with our predictions that if it does rain, they are debuting the new wet tires that don't need tire blankets this week. I don't want so any of this. Like, I don't know if I want this. I don't know. I don't know if I want this. <laughs> right. So just throwing, like, there's just too much chaos this week for me to actually know what we're doing. So leading into, since I just gave up entire preface about, I have no idea what's going on. Nicole, who did you pick for P4? I put Carlos at P4. Ooh, okay. I, I, you know, I more just went with the vibe of, I just feel I want something good to happen to Charles. So I didn't want to put him at P4 and I'm just being too optimistic for Ferrari. So my brain is either like, either it's really great for Charles or it's really bad for Charles. So I put Carlos at P4. <laughs> I saw a, a graph that F1 data and analytics made on their Instagram. And it was just the average finishing position for all the drivers in Monaco. Now, of course, that stat is really skewed based on where the drivers have raced. But what shocked me was how um, high, and by high I mean low number, Carlos's average finishing position was, despite, it's not like he's always had a good car or anything. Right. So I think that's a fair place to put him. Felt right. Again, vibes. We're going with vibes. Yeah. I put Lewis in P4. Okay. Uh, because if either of the Mercedes finish this weekend that high up, I'm going to feel great. And I would like to feel great. You know, per prior statements about how we have back-to-back -back triple crown races, I need Lewis to end the race. Not behind Fernando Alonso in a DRS train in the middle of the pack is essentially what I'm rooting for. So P4. Then maybe the rest of forever, teams will bring B-Spec upgrades to Monaco. Trendsetter. To be fair to Mercedes, we keep joking about this. They do have enough spares, they say. And they've already like retrofitted the chassis to fit these new upgrades. So they, they physically can't not bring them, is really what's going on here. Right, yeah. It's, it's, it's stressful. Logistics, but still panic-inducing. Uh, so then we do our pick of P7, aka best of the rest. Uh, who do you have for finishing P7 in Monaco? Lance. Okay. Yeah. Um, no reason, just vibes. Actually, I think for Lance doesn't historically do well at Monaco, and I'm putting out some positive points for him. That's a lot like how the rest of my picks kind of go. Um, <laughs> Who's your P7? My P7 is ST Bestie. Again, really going in vibes, positivity. We just want good things to happen to good like, people. Yeah. Well, interestingly, I have ST Bestie as my P10. So points, points this weekend. I went back and forth of putting him in P7 or P10, but then I wanted to continue to spread the positive vibes, and I put Alex at P10. And I understand how crazy that is because, you know, 
Williams, but Alex. Right. Who knows? Not impossible. And if anyone can do it in that car, it's Alex and not Logan. So Alex, <laughs> be said. I will say Williams' significant lack of downforce, improved yep. downforce from last year, but overall significant lack of downforce is not helping the prediction, but I do support the positive vibes. Because positive I really, vibes. that's the goal. I'm putting good things out into the world. <laughs> what do I have to lose? All right, who's your best of the bottom five teams in the constructors standing for this weekend? Who's going to score the most points? I picked Alpine. Me too. Yeah, yeah, it just made the most sense. It was this. It literally was the safest pick. Um, right. And footage that will never be found. I had a little bit of a spicier pick last week, and uh, it is in the gridwalk. It didn't work. It is in the gridwalk vault, and it'll stay there. But I did not feel good about going into. I did change up my picks a little bit from what they would have been, but that one I definitely was like, nah, Al Alpine is the is the clear pick for here. I mean, is there any clear pick for Monica? Who knows? It's all chaos, as we've been saying. We never knew. Yeah. It is particularly interesting to have Monaco. Like, Monaco this year is starting the European season. Monaco is before Spain, because historically, actually, I think this year we aren't getting the sec Sector 3 chicane, but, like, for years, it's been, like, if you go well at Spain Sector 3, you're going to do well at Monaco. And it's, like, been the whole thing. And, like, um, I don't know. Your schedule is so back and forth and so confusing and, like, ah. Uh. Right. I really am excited for the next two races because almost every team is bringing something really significant because it's the start of the European season. And I think we're going to get a really good picture of the – directions for all the teams you start um, to see that shift like this is the point of the season where the upgrades that are coming should be making a significant difference and there's been enough race and data collected for engineers to be creating like an actual piece of the car that will make a substantial change hopefully in a positive way for some of them yeah, and for Mercedes. Positive way for Mercedes. We've been yelling about Imola upgrades for weeks now. Now we get to yell about the Monaco upgrades that we're not going to understand. Like, if you are a fellow Mercedes fan listening to this, just know that whatever happens this weekend has nothing to do with the upgrades. So we can, we're now just going to yell about the Barcelona upgrades for two weeks, essentially. But this is the start of the season where I get to watch Sam Collins walk down the pit lane and explain what's on the cars to me, which is my favorite part of an F1 season. Welcome back to Yale Sector. No, it's not the fastest walk around F1, but we will complete a full lap around the paddock hitting every F1 garage. We think there are interesting stories everywhere. Can't hit all of them in depth. We go through them now. So I'm going to start today actually with the Pirelli garage. There are going to be new wet tires debuting at this race weekend. If it rains and they need wet tires. It is important to note that these new wet tires do not use any warm-up blankets. Um, it's supposed to be a step in the direction of completely use removing tire blankets from F1, which is controversial, may or may not happen. If it does rain and a driver messes up, expect them to immediately blame the lack of tire blankets over the radio. Who knows if it's actually their fault? Uh, Red Bull and Alphatari. Red Bull is bored of winning every week, so they need to go back to their traditional ways of creating havoc, 
via the driver market. DeVries still continues to be on the chopping block. It seems like everyone's talking about it right now. And I think in Red Bull speak, that just means it's a matter of time. I give it a couple races. Ferrari, I have two notes this week. One, can we all just remember that Italian sports tabloids just make things up? And just because you can hit translate on Google does not mean we should take it as actual news. We don't take the Daily Mail as actual news. So just, just remember. But it is not officially confirmed as of recording this, but by the time we release this episode, it should be. But it's very likely that Charles will have a special race suit for this weekend. It's rumored to be all white. The suit was also, we already know, accompanied by a special Puma merch line, which has dive in, which has diamonds to uh, represent the Monaco crest. Nicole, will you be getting any? Oh yeah, I will uh, definitely get all of the diamond Puma everything. I mean, look, I love merch, but, but I don't know. We'll see. I, it, it'll jinx it. I don't think I can. <laughs> You'll buy it after the fact if something good after, happens. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mercedes have announced that all of their freight for the European season will be powered by biofuels. I'm going to read something from their press release because I think it's interesting. So over the nine races across Europe, I believe it's now down to eight because this was, wasn't rewritten not to include Imola. Um, their fleet of Mercedes-Benz trucks, which transport all the freight required for each race, will refuel with second-generation biofuel. So... Essentially, they're saying this will reduce emissions for each kilometer covered by 89%. Um, there, an interesting note here is that the FIA changed the cost cap where if you are doing research to help with carbon emissions and just overall becoming more sustainable, that no longer counts towards the cost cap, which is actually what opened up this avenue for Mercedes and Petronas jointly to create this new fuel and do this new thing. Um, also, all of the generators that they use on the track to power their race things, like all those computers on the track, is now also going to be powered by the same uh, sustainable biofuel. Alpine, well, Renault, <laughs> the team Alpine, but it's still just owned by Renault, is looking to sell a minority share of its racing division. Valtteri Bottas participated in a gravel bike race on his weekend off. Wolfgang Puck is officially a partner of the Aston Martin team. He is creating recipes for their hospitality, and his logo is going to feature on the car for any race in a city near one of his restaurants, which is really cool. Uh, also, they're becoming the Honda Works team. Haas told Motorsports.com journalist Adam Cooper that the parts they buy from Ferrari are preventing them from making quick in-season concept changes to their car. So unlike every other team, they cannot quickly switch to the Red Bull design. They're stuck with whatever Ferrari does, essentially. McLaren has a special Monaco livery celebrating the team's triple crown. It is essentially a mashup of their three IndyCar liveries, which are all based on an Indy 500 win, a Monaco GP win, and their Le Mans win, which I, I think the livery is cooler than their normal race livery this season. They should just stick with it, even though they did make it glittery. And for those of you who don't know, Pato Award, his Indy 500 livery sparkles. And I love it. <laughs> uh, Williams, last but not least, 
guess what's happening this year? They are doing a specialty Golf Monaco livery. So what everyone was screaming for, what we thought we were gonna get all season, they are doing for this race. Now it's rumored that it's going to be announced on Friday, which is a little late. So I don't know why they're not giving it to us before then, but we're getting it. It's gonna be very, very exciting. So that's a grid walk for May 25th, 2023 completed. How was my sector time today, Nicole? Well, faster than Williams is revealing their golf livery. I agree. Friday is way too late. Give it now. I want to see it now. Right. Or McLaren, we're recording this Tuesday. McLaren gave us their livery today. Like, give it to us Wednesday. Thursday, media day. You're telling me you're not going to roll it out on media day? Like, this just feels like it can't be Friday. It's not possible. I agree. That feels way, way, way too, too much. Uh, but thank you to voiceover man as always thank you Lena Bruhler for really coming through with my F1 Academy picks this past weekend and our four-legged executive producers turn on auto downloads and rate and review the pod it really really helps us out you have absolutely no idea Spotify Apple Podcasts wherever you listen to your podcast on YouTube give us a like and subscribe leave a review let us know what you like about the pod give us a comment what you'd like to see or who you're rooting for this weekend. We want to get to know you as much as you're getting to know us and definitely make sure to check out our bonus episode out tomorrow. It is our triple crown special. Give you a little bit of an F1 fans insight into IndyCar, what you need to know about the Indy 500 and what the heck makes Monaco so special and do we know where the triple crown came from? <laughs> Always make sure to follow us on all of the social media platforms or whichever ones you do use at Gridwalk Show everywhere for your daily Gridwalks. And we'll be back every Thursday and we sincerely hope that you join us. Whew, today's episode definitely felt triple crown worthy. I